Tonight we're going to be um, going moving into the New Testament. So we have been hanging out in the Old Testament this whole series. We've been in the Old Testament speaking about women um, in Old Testament times, minus Christmas when we jumped up and we went ahead and did um, Mary, the mother of Jesus. But tonight we're moving forward. Feels good to move forward, make progress, right? And so now we will be talking about some New Testament women and their stories. And remember, it was said tonight, um, I think it was said Sunday, that because of your story and your testimony, it can be an encouragement, it can minister to somebody. So the things that we go through and the challenges that we face, they're not in vain, they have a purpose. Yes, the purpose is to grow us, to develop us into who God wants us to be, but it's also to minister to somebody else. I don't think that anything we go through is a loss. You're gonna come out of that with a testimony and a story, and you're gonna one day be able to look at somebody and say, I've been there, I've walked that road. Let me help you, let me pray for you. And so that is why it is so beneficial for us to study these various women of the Bible and their stories because each one of them has a unique story to tell. God did something very unique for each and every one of them. He met them at their place of need. And these types of stories, we can see ourselves in them. Amen? Anybody feel that way? Like week to week? Oh, yes, that's me. And also, it's an encouragement to us to see that you know, if he's the God of the Old Testament, he's the God of the New Testament, and he's God today. He never changes. And so what he's done for them, he can do for us. The world changes, culture changes, everything changes so rapidly, but God never changes. And so that is how we can take a story that might be thousands of years old, and we can glean from it and learn from it even today. All right, so... Tonight, we're going to be talking about another lady that um, didn't have the greatest reputation, um, not quite to the extent of our Gomer last week, but didn't have the greatest reputation, and she had quite a lot of pain and scars in her life, and she carried those, and we're going to take a look at what God did in her and how Jesus ministered to her and ministered through her. And so tonight we're going to be talking about Mary Magdalene. Everyone whose life has been touched by Jesus has a testimony. We all have a transformation story. Mary Magdalene's story certainly was not boring. She had been delivered to follow Jesus all the way to his tragic death on the cross. But Mary's testimony doesn't stop there. She was the first to witness the most significant event in all of human history, the resurrection. Her life is a story of transformation and it's worth examining. It's worth taking a close look at it. In this session, we're gonna look at the journey of Mary Magdalene and we'll learn that each of us has a story. 
Our story may not be exactly like Mary's, but regardless of our past, regardless of your pain, regardless of your struggles, or regardless of the demons that you have fought, Jesus has a plan for your future. We have been set free. We have been delivered. We have been trusted by God with good news to share. And we are witnesses that he is alive. And he has invited each one of us to go and share that amazing truth that Jesus is alive and he can change lives. Um, we're going to lay out a little bit about her story before we get into the scripture. I want to just kind of tell it in a story form all together. And then we'll go in and we'll pull out a few different scriptures and we'll take a look at what the word says about her. And we'll kind of break that down through there throughout her story in the New Testament. So Mary Magdalene was a woman filled with zeal, passion, and fervor. If we could look inside of her and see her heart, we would find a woman who had likely experienced a very deep pain, brokenness, a woman who bore scars of a sordid past. And we know that she had been delivered of seven demons. Demons are real. All right. It's a real thing. It's not something that we just make up and put on scary movies. But the word of God tells us that they're real. They're fallen angels. You know, when Lucifer was cast out of heaven and Bishop spoke about that a couple of weeks ago and said, you know, sometime in Genesis that some scholars believe between the light and the darkness that Lucifer was cast out. And when he was cast out, there was a third of the angels that followed him in his rebellion. Those are what we call demons today. They are angelic beings. They are eternal beings. And they are out to do his business. Not his business, but the enemy's business. And sometimes people can experience those spirits in their life. And they can find themselves succumbing to them and even being possessed. Um, anybody ever had any experience with that? Or does this sound so far-fetched that you're like, I have no idea what she's talking about? Just raise your hand if you've ever been around a demon-possessed person. All right. It's real, and I can tell you it's real, because I saw it two weeks ago and watched a man delivered of demons at Because of the Times. It's real. All right, so this woman here in our story tonight, she, the Bible tells us that she had seven of them inside of her. And they had taken over her life. Jesus shows up on the, in the scene of her life and he cast the demons out of her and set her free. So take a moment and stop and really think about the life of this woman. Sometimes it's really easy for us to just read that scripture really tongue in cheek when we hear about demon possession and we think, ah, you know, that's far fetched or I've never seen anything like that. Can't be real, you know, but I want you to think about that. I want you to stop and really think for a moment about her life, having seven demonic beings attacking her in her body. They, they attack you physically tormenting her in her mind and directing her life in such a way that she couldn't even make 
her own decision. She couldn't even do things for herself. She wasn't even in her right mind. They were controlling her and directing her. It is hard for us to really grasp the emotional, the psychological, the relational, and the spiritual damage that something like that leaves in a person's life. All right? This was someone who knew deep pain. She had been through some things and she'd gone to some very dark places and given herself away to the spirits of darkness. And she had allowed them, she'd given them an invitation. That's why it's so important that we guard our hearts and guard our minds and be careful what we entertain, be careful what we set before our eyes. The eyes are the window to the soul. Be careful what we're placing in front of our eyes and we're watching and we're listening to because it is the enemy's desire to find ways into our homes and our situations and our minds. And so this particular woman didn't know Jesus. And somewhere in her life, she succumbed to the enemy. If we could look into Mary's heart, we would see a depth of love and longing for Jesus that would inspire each and every one of us. It was Jesus who cured her. He set her free. And Mary Magdalene knew the Savior's power in a very personal way. She had been a recipient of God's power, his grace, and his love. She had been delivered. And I don't think that if I was delivered of such a life and such bondage and torment, that I would just keep it to myself and be quiet. I think I would want other people to know what God had done for me. She was also honored to be the very first witness to encounter the resurrected Jesus. Remember, I've reminded us of this all throughout this series. We're not talking about the United States of America in 2023. We are talking about a time and a culture where women were not acknowledged. All right, not for much. And where women were not trusted to bear witness in a court. They weren't allowed to be witnesses in a court case. They were never called before a judge to be a witness. Right? But Jesus defied the cultural norms. And he called Mary a woman with a terrible past. He called her to be the very first witness of his resurrection and the one to go and tell it. She, you could say, was the first one to go and preach the gospel that Jesus was alive. Her. Jesus trusted her to go and share what she had seen. And Mary's life might be a story that is kind of shocking to us with radical extremes. One part of the scripture, she's bound by devils. The next time she's freed by Jesus. A woman with no social standing becomes the honored witness and the preacher of the gospel. From outcast to follower of Jesus, Mary traveled this journey and she sat at the feet of Jesus. Her life is a reminder to each one of us no matter where we've been, no matter what kind of circumstances we are facing, 
no matter what kind of mistakes we have made, no matter where we find ourselves tonight, we are not too far from his touch. We are not too far out of his reach. He still sets women free from demons that torment and control their lives. He still invites women to follow him. And he still calls each and every one of us to be a witness to the world. Isn't that amazing? Um, before we move on, I do just want to point out, because um, everyone comes to a study like this with their own context. And you have your own, you know, you've heard things or you've seen things. And there is a story out there. Um, if you've heard of the Da Vinci Code, it's false. And they, there was a man who tried to portray Mary Magdalene as being the wife of Jesus and having his children. That is not biblical, and we have no reason to believe that that is true whatsoever. So I wanted to just throw that out there. If you've heard anything about that, if you've heard this name before and you think, Oh, yeah, I recognize that. I saw the Da Vinci Code. Just get that out of your mind because that is not what the Bible says, okay? This was a disciple of Jesus. This was a woman who followed him and was very closely knit with Jesus and the disciples. So um, that's what we do know about her, all right? But we're not going to make any other assumptions unless we read it in the scripture. Amen? All right, so... A woman growing up in first century culture was at a disadvantage, right? There's a Jewish proverb, proverb that comes from this time, this period of time, that says this. Happy is the father who has sons, but woe to the father who has daughters. That is how they felt about women and girls in that culture and that society. And so when we're coming to this story, I want you to remember that context. I want you to keep that in your mind, okay? Don't come to it as we're, we're in, you know, 21st century America. That's not the context of this story. So this was a woman who grew up, who grew up in the first century in the Jewish culture, and it was not a place where she was given much of a voice. It wasn't a place that women were given much of honor or reverence. They, they had their purposes. They had their places. But as I already mentioned, courts didn't allow them to testify. You know, they, a lot of times their marriages were arranged. And they were, you know, arranged by their father and a man. And so it was a very, very different situation than what we know today. So me sitting before you tonight speaking would not have been something that would have been done in the first century and this time. Now, Jesus came to change all of that, and he honored women. And Jesus, in his earthly ministry, gave women a special place of honor right beside him. And as we're going to unfold tonight, he chose Mary also to go and speak and tell others. So Jesus basically came and he shattered that whole mindset that was on women of that time. And I'm sure he took some flack for it because they talked about him and the way he treated the Sabbath and the way he did this and he did that. And I'm sure that might have been one of the things that they said. But have you seen? He has a woman 
has a woman that follows him. He has a woman that works for him. And so this was a totally different period of time. And our Mary here um, is an example of how Jesus honored women and he cared about them. And he gave them a special place in his kingdom. Another Mary, this is a different example that I want to share with you to kind of um, show you this same point. Um, Mary of Bethany, which would have been Lazarus's sister. There was Mary and Martha. All right. If you think for a moment about their story, Mary was, um, I'm sorry, I'm making sure I'm getting this right. Um, yes. So Mary was worshiping at Jesus's feet and Martha was being left to do all the work, right? And so Martha was in the kitchen and she was preparing food and she wasn't in there where the men were discussing the word, all right? They were sitting around and they were discussing kingdom concepts. And so she wasn't a part of that. She wasn't privy to that conversation, but she was left to go take care of the food. But somehow... Mary wanders off, and this is not Mary Magdalene. That's what I want everybody to understand. This is Mary of Bethany. Mary wanders off and goes and sits at the feet of Jesus, and she's gleaning from him. She wants to hear his teaching. She's hungry for the word. She wants to take it in. And Martha comes out and corrects her and chastises her and says, what are you doing? You shouldn't be out here. You should be back here where you belong. But what did Jesus do? He stopped her. He stopped Martha and he said, Mary has chosen the good thing. She's chosen a good thing by coming and sitting at my feet and worshiping me. And so that is another example of how Jesus viewed women despite what the culture was teaching at that time. Jesus had a special place for women. He had patience with them. He, he wanted them near him. He wanted them around his ministry. And he saw value in women. And so I think that speaks an important message to us as well. If we can turn to Luke chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. This is a passage where we find our Mary... And I love the way Luke writes. He's very descriptive, just kind of abrupt and just tells it. He tells good stories. And so this is what Luke says here about Mary Magdalene. And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. So who is that 12 that were with him? The 12 disciples, the men, the men folk that followed him and served him in various capacities and were a part of his ministry. So we see those men all throughout scripture. They're always with him, right? And we, we see miracles being performed and there's the disciples right along with them. And at times he would send them out to do various tasks for him and minister different cities and so it's not unusual for us to see that there are 12 men with Jesus, right? But verse 2, it says, And 
certain women. So there was women with him as well. He had women that were his disciples, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. So he had women that were following him and a part of his earthly ministry that he had healed them of their infirmities or their sicknesses, their diseases, and he had also healed them of evil spirits. And that scripture in verse two goes on to name one of those women. The other ones remain nameless. They are lost in the pages of scripture. We don't know their names, but he names this one. And Luke says, Mary called Magdalene out of whom went seven devils. What the scripture says, right? Seven devils. That's what she was known for. Luke was writing this and he said, okay, you know, they're going about and his ministry's gotten started here and he's gone and he's preaching and he's teaching in the cities and the villages and good things are happening. Luke, the storyteller, is laying all of this out for us. And he says, oh, and the 12, they were with him because they were, they were always with him, those 12 men. But he stops, and before he goes on and lays out the rest of the story, he says, there were women too. Don't forget them. I'm sure most of them remain nameless. But he points out a couple here. In verse 3, he says, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. So we know from the scripture that there was quite a few women there. Most of them remain nameless. Names a couple couple of them. And we would have to say that why would Luke just name a couple of them? What is it about those ladies that Luke wanted us to know? Well, in the middle of this very average narrative that Luke is laying out for us, nothing really exciting going on here. They're just traveling. They're sharing the gospel. The 12 men are following him. All of a sudden, Luke says, oh, and Mary called Magdalene was there, out of whom came seven devils. And you're like, whoa, (laughs) okay. Okay, so that's a little shocking. Anybody know anybody that had seven devils cast out of them? I do. I was there for that one too and counted them each one, one by one. And he's now a minister of the gospel and goes to the Starks church. But that's not common, right? Not everybody can say, yeah, I know somebody that had seven devils. So when Luke points this out, it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, there's a plot twist. You know, a little, little twist to the story. Luke wasn't just naming all the women here, but he wants us to know that's important. It's important for us to know that Mary was one of his disciples along with other women. And she was important because she had been delivered. She had a story. She had a testimony. She had come from some really, really dark places in life. And she'd been bound up and tormented, but she was set free from it all. And she followed him and she ministered to him of her substance, it says. And she was by his side which is important because there's going to come a time in Jesus's story when a lot of people were not by his side, when they were running and fleeing and rejecting him. But Mary took a journey with Jesus 
And somewhere in her life, after her deliverance, we know that she had committed to follow him. She'd committed to be his disciple to the bitter end. We can all turn to John 19, 25. Give you a second to get there. We've just fast forwarded through all of Jesus's earthly ministry. All right. And now we find ourselves after all of the miracles that he has done. And the scripture tells us that if we tried to write a book that we could not even contain, all the books of the world cannot contain the miracles and the great things that Jesus did in his three years of earthly ministry. Okay? So there was a lot. There was a lot happening in those three years. And we see that Mary was there in the beginning of his ministry, and she had made that commitment to follow him. She wanted to be his disciple. And so fast forward through all of that, all of the miracles, all of the incredible things, all of the people that were ministered to, the traveling city to city to city. And now here we are in John, in chapter 19, verse 25, we are at the cross of Jesus. Some of his closest followers have betrayed him. Some of his closest friends and those he loved so much have ran away and hidden. Some of them have even denied that they even know him. But here at the cross, verse 25, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. She was with him to the bitter end. She made a commitment to follow him because he had done so much for her and he had delivered her from such a dark place and she wanted to give her life to his service and his kingdom. And she did. And she was there with his mother and his aunt and the other Mary right there at the end when he died. So we think that, you know, how must Mary have felt in that moment and in the few days that follow? You guys know that I always think about things and I'm like, you know, the scripture doesn't necessarily outline all of that. But it says that they scattered. So I imagine that the disciples were all over the place. They were hiding. They were scattered. They were saying, oh, all hope is gone. You know, what do we do now? We thought he'd come to save us. And their mindset of being saved was not what he had in mind. He came to bring eternal salvation. And they were thinking of temporal salvation. Save us from Rome. And so in those days that followed this, this scripture in John 19, 25, when Mary's there at the cross, and then he dies, and the soldiers take down his body, and he goes and he's buried in a borrowed tomb. What is Mary doing? She's grieving. She's mourning. She's distraught, just like everyone else is, I'm sure, right? 
They were so distraught. But if we jump over to chapter 20, what an incredible thing that happens here. Chapter 20 of of John opens up like this. The first day of the week cometh, Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth that the stone taken away from the sepulcher. So after these horrible days and horrible nights of Jesus being taken from them, brutally murdered before their eyes, they don't understand. Remember, they don't have the understanding that you and I have. Hindsight, right? We can see what was happening. They didn't know that. And in those days, I'm sure there was a desperation. There was a discouragement, a hopelessness. But Mary, nobody else, right? It says that Mary must have got up early on that Sunday morning and said, I don't know what to do. I just want to go and be near his body. I'm just lost and I'm grieving and I just need to go and be there. And it might not have even made sense to her. I mean, we're thinking, we're reading the story saying, yes, yes, go, go, because you're going to find something really awesome. But she doesn't know that. She is just distraught and hopeless, just like everyone else. And so early in the morning, it's still dark out, the scripture says, she decides, I'm going to go to the tomb. Mary. No one else, but she goes. And when she gets there, she finds that that great big old massive stone that was there, probably just hours before when they had been at the tomb, right? I'm sure they had spent more time there over the weekend. And the stone was just there yesterday. And she gets there and she sees that the stone is gone. Mary was the one who witnessed this first. Isn't that amazing? This woman that had such horrible pain and trauma in her life, this woman who experienced such great deliverance and victory, she is the one that found the the missing stone. Then, verse 2, she runneth and come to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, and saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. So that tells us, remember, sometimes they don't piece it all together for us. We have to kind of stop and think about it. Don't read these scriptures too fast. But that tells us that she went running and she went to get Peter and John and tell them, guys, the body isn't there. So that means that she didn't just go and see the stone and say, oh, okay, well, there's a missing stone. I better go tell somebody. She must have taken a peek. She must have popped her little head in and said, oh my, the stone's not just gone, but the body's not even there. And so in her thought, in her mind, was that somebody had stolen him. Somebody had moved that big old stone and had stolen his body or taken it away. So Peter, of course it's Peter. I love Peter. Y'all know I love Peter. Peter is me. I am Peter. I get him. He's like, well, let's go. 
Let's figure this out. We got, we got a problem to solve. So Peter's on it. And he goes forth. And I, I love that. It says, and that other disciple. Sometimes these men, they just, they had their beefs with each other. Peter went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together. And the other disciple did outrun Peter because that's what they have to do. They had, I have four boys. I know this is true. Everything is a race. Everything is a competition. Okay. So they run and they're trying to outrun one another to see who can get there first. And Peter was outrun. I'm surprised, but maybe he had asthma. And he got there first. To the sepulcher. And so the other disciple stoops down and looks in. And verse 5, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. I think he might have been a little scared. I don't know about you, but I think that's what that means. He didn't want to go in. He just It says that he just kind of peeked his head in. Stooped down and looked in and he saw that the body was gone. And he was like, oh boy, I don't know if I want anything to do with this mess. And the napkin that was about his head. So that was part of their burial process. They wrapped them in in linen cloth and they always placed a napkin around their head. And that particular piece of cloth um, was not lying with the linen clothes, verse 7, but wrapped together in a place by itself. That's significant. I don't have time to explain that, but if you're curious, see me after class tonight and I'll explain that. Verse eight, then went in also the other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Get ready, brace yourself. Then those ornery men, In verse 10, the disciples went away again unto their home. They went home. Now, it doesn't really say why. We don't know. Were they scared? Maybe. Were they thinking, oh boy, we need to go home and formulate a plan here. What has happened? We don't really know. But the Bible clearly tells us that they went away and they went home. Jesus is not there and you go home and you're like, well, I don't know what to do here. We're just, we're just going to go home. And, but in verse 11, there is someone named and she doesn't go home. She stays right there. Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. And she saw two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Now those disciples had just looked in there and they didn't see no angel. But now Mary is like, well, they're gone and I don't know what to do. And I'm just so upset. I don't know what to do, but I'm just going to take one more peek. And she looks in and there sits two angels. How amazing. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, 
because they have taken away my Lord and I know not where they have laid him. So she still doesn't really understand what's happening here. She thinks someone has stolen this body and she doesn't know where it's at. And she's very upset and very troubled by it. She was loyal to Jesus. She loved him. She honored him and revered him. And she didn't want this to happen to him in his death. She didn't want his body to be stolen and and mistreated. So that was where her thinking and her headspace was at in verse 13. Let's look at verse 14. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. She wasn't so sure. She saw this man standing there. Jesus saith unto her, woman, why weepest thou whom seekest thou? She supposing him to be the gardener saith unto him, sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where you have laid him. And I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. And in that second, something clicked. Because several years prior, the same voice had called her name out of darkness and into his marvelous light and had said, Mary, come and follow me. So she turned and she said, Rabbi, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren, and say unto them, I will ascend to my Father and your Father, to my God, your God. So in verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Jesus called Mary by name. She might not have recognized him in the middle of this horrible situation. She was so caught up in her despair that she didn't recognize him. But when he spoke her name, something in her shifted and she responded to his voice. And she said, it's you. And he gives her instructions, specific instructions, and tells her, go and tell the others, tell the disciples, tell them that I'm alive. I'm not dead anymore. I'm not in the tomb, that I have risen. Jesus instructed Mary to be the very first person to share the gospel, to share the good news of his resurrection. And so I want to just take it one step further here. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene, it says that she went and she did as she was told. She obeyed the Lord and she went and told the disciples that she had seen him and that he'd spoken to her and explained he, he was alive and he was, going, he was going to heaven. But in verse 19, starts off in an interesting way. Then the same day, at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. 
So between verse 18 and verse 19, there's some time that lapses. We don't know exactly how much. We just know that Mary had been at the tomb early in the morning. And she'd received this word from Jesus early Sunday morning. And she went and she told the disciples. And I just have a feeling that she didn't like stop at McDonald's and Starbucks on the way. I think she probably ran and said, you'll never believe the news I have. I have something to tell. She could not be distracted. She was not to be deterred. She went to the disciples and she told them what he had spoken to her. But it's evening time. And the disciples are all locked up and they're scared and they're fearful. So in this whole day, we don't really know exactly what they're doing, but did they believe Mary or did they say, oh, Lord, Mary, she is crazy. You know, she once was possessed with seven devils. You know, we don't know what they were saying, but we know that there was some time that passed between when Mary shared the good news and they actually were able to experience him. So we need to take that as an encouragement that sometimes we are called to do something, we're called to speak something, we're called to to go and share a word and we're just called to simply obey. We are not responsible for their response. We're not responsible for their reaction. We don't know if they're even going to receive it. We don't know if if they're going to call us crazy. We don't know if they're going to talk about us and bring up our past and say, you can't trust anything. She says, but we're not responsible for any of that. Mary was responsible to go and tell it, to obey what the Lord had commanded her to do. And that is exactly what she did. What happens next, the time that passes, the season, we don't know what that season might be. And I want to encourage someone tonight, if you are praying for a lost loved one, if you are reaching out to somebody, if you feel to go and share and tell it, to share your testimony, to tell the good news to somebody, it may not happen in an instant. And that's okay. It's not a failure. You're not responsible for what happens. You're only responsible to obey. So Mary is a good example to us. She goes and she obeys what the Lord had told her. And despite the disciples' fear, later that evening, after hours of time had passed, Jesus appears to them. And he stands in their midst and he says, Peace be unto you. In other words, settle down. Don't be scared. Don't freak out. But it's really me. I'm here. (laughs) And he was then able to minister unto the disciples and help to cure them of their doubt. So I want to remind us tonight that in this story of Mary Magdalene, when we first, when she first met Jesus, we know that he had delivered her, that there were some things controlling her life and that she had experience with him that she just couldn't hold inside. 
And she had a great testimony. She was there through it all. She saw the miracle. She saw the goodness. She saw all the things that he had done. She witnessed the healings. She witnessed his love and his compassion on the masses and on the individuals, the hurting, the broken. She saw all of these things and she followed him to the very, very end of his life. I believe that because of her faithfulness, because she could be trusted, because the Lord had seen in those three years, yes, she has a past, but I delivered her and I set her free from that. And that is no more. And now she's following me. And when I could just imagine when he healed at the pool of Bethesda, that there stood Mary. When he broke the bread and he passed out the loaves and the fishes and fed the people, there stood Mary. She was there. She was faithful. She was a constant. She was a disciple that never left. She was there. And Jesus knew that she was someone that could be trusted to obey him and to do his work. So he trusted her to be the first person to bear a message to the disciples. I'm sure that she was overwhelmed, amazed. I'm sure that this was just not your everyday occurrence in Mary's life. You know, this didn't just happen every day. This was huge, amazing, surprising, but she was obedient. She had a great calling on her life and she fulfilled that calling. You and I read it together. Jesus not only wanted to see Mary whole, he didn't only want to deliver her from the demons, but he also wanted to use her. He did not stop at just curing her of the demonic forces that were at work in her life. He could have stopped there, but he said, follow me. And then he didn't stop there either. He didn't just say, Mary, I, I delivered you. You're set free. You've got a great testimony. I want you to travel with the group and I want you to share your testimony. I want you to encourage others. I want you to minister to the women. And that could have been enough. But then when he looks down from the cross, who does he see? There she is again, faithful Mary. And because of her faithfulness, he trusted her with a calling. He didn't just want to heal her and deliver her. He didn't just want to have a relationship with her. He didn't just want her to be one of the followers. But he wanted to use her for a great calling and a great purpose. And the same can be said of each and every one of you. He desired so much more than to just say, yeah, I'm going to set you free. I'm going to deliver you from some things, you know, but then that's it. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, okay, I'm going to deliver you and set you free, but now you just are going to follow me. And you're just going to give up everything, sacrifice it all. And that's it. That's the end of your story. But he wants to anoint you and he wants to use you for his purposes. I have found in life that sometimes our brokenness can cause shame. And sometimes that is what holds us back from doing 
what God wants us to really do. What if Mary would have looked at him that day and said, oh, but Jesus, I mean, you know who I am. Everyone knows. It's only been like three years ago. You know, I I don't think I can do that. I'm not qualified. You know, what if she would have allowed shame and brokenness to hinder her from doing what he wanted her to do. Like Mary Magdalene, all of us in our brokenness will find places of shame. And I have learned that it's in those places where I am most broken that I am reluctant to hand it over to Jesus. I'm reluctant to give those places over to him. In the book of Genesis, since the very beginning of time, it says that we are made in the image of God. We are his image bearers. But sometimes we walk around and we carry a mirror where we can see that image, but it's broken. It's shattered. And so we want to hide it and we don't want to look at it. We say, oh, that's not that's not what I want to see. But I've come to tell somebody tonight that of all the religions in the world, Christianity is the only one I can find where our Savior and our God carry scars and brokenness in his body. He knows and he has compassion on us and he sees our broken places, yet he still calls us. He still calls us his own and he still wants to use us and he still has a purpose for us. No matter where we've come from, no matter what we've done, no matter how far we have strayed, no matter how shattered our life may appear, we bear his image. And he has called each and every one of us to share, even in our brokenness, to share those areas that we're so reluctant to hand over to Jesus. I'm I'm reminded of this story when Jesus heals the man with the withered hand. I love that story because that's a picture of shame. His first response, a life of having a withered hand and being ashamed of it. Jesus said, stretch forth your hand. And he put forth his good one. Isn't that our response? Okay, Jesus, there it is. There's the good one. See how nice it looks? Oh, but please, please don't make me. Don't make me show the broken one. But that's what he asked for. He asked for the brokenness because those are the places that he can work the miraculous. Amen? So tonight we're going to close out in prayer and we're going to pray that God would mend the broken places in our lives and that he would use those broken places not as a place of shame, but as a place that we can minister. And we're also going to pray if there's any influences in our lives, anybody in this room, anybody listening on our podcast that needs God to help them and needs deliverance, we're going to pray for those people because God is able to heal and deliver. And we're also going to pray 
that we would become bold like Mary and that we would answer that call on our lives to be a faithful witness and share the message that he has given us. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this testimony in Mary Magdalene. We thank you, God, for everything that we can glean from her broken pieces, God. I pray that you would mend the broken places in the lives of every woman under the sound of my voice, God. Let them know, God, that you desire to use their brokenness for your glory. I pray, Jesus, that if there's anyone who needs deliverance, that they would find it in you, God, that they would not turn to any other influence, but that they would turn to you for their help and their victory and their deliverance and their healing, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would place a boldness in your women. I pray, God, that you would give us a boldness to be the witness that you've called us to be, to minister in the ways that you've called us to minister. And let nothing hold us back from being all that you desire of us, God. Let us be faithful unto you, God, through the ups and the downs and through the troubles and the trials, God. Let us follow you all the way to the cross. And let us, God, be the faithful witness that you've called us to be and share the message of hope with all that we meet. Lord, give us strength, God, and help us to be everything that you desire of us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I don't know. I can't decide. It seems like every week I say, oh, guys, this one's my favorite. But they're all so good, and I hope it ministered to you tonight. Next week, we're going to be talking about a different Mary, and that is the Mary I alluded to a moment ago, Mary of Bethany. There's a lot we can learn from that, that story as well. I love you all. God bless you, and you may be dismissed.